and welcome to mini episode 102 of Real Life Ghost Stories. I have five spooky stories for you today and the last story comes from January the 2nd, 2021. We finally made it into 2021 and story number one comes from Maraid. It all started when my bestie Anne-Marie asked me and our other bestie Kate to babysit her two boys, Ted and Jack, aged three and two respectively for a night. It was 2013. They lived in a beautifully restored thatched cottage where her grandfather grew up, which at the time had old outbuildings out the back. It was located in the south of Ireland. One of these sheds was used to house the kids' big toys like tractors and sandpits and diggers, etc. I was hanging with Ted, the three-year-old, while my more experienced with kids' friend looked after the two-year-old. I was outside with Ted and he was telling me all about his friend, Con O'Donnell, who was teaching him how to play hurling as he swung a little mini hurl around the place. So I was asking him questions. Where does your friend live? And Ted replied, In the shed, Maraid. I really didn't take too much notice at the start, but it freaked my friend Kate out and she asked me to stop asking the child questions. And I didn't stop. We went into the shed where their toys were and I asked Ted, Is Con here? And he replied, Yes, he is. And with that, he took me by the hand, led me to the corner of the shed, pointed and said, There he is. I was still not freaked at this stage, more intrigued. My friend Kate hot-tailed it out of the shed as she was too freaked out to stay. So I asked Ted, Is he coming out to play with us? Ted faced the corner and asked, Are you coming out? And then he turned back to me and said, No, he isn't. With that, we went out into the yard and we were playing and Ted would every so often run into the shed to ask Con to come out and play, but he wouldn't. Ted also ran out at one stage and told me that Con was going to throw stones at me. And I told Ted to tell him that that was bold and he couldn't do things like that. I had to stop because we were really freaking out my friend Kate at this stage and the day went on without incident. The next day when the kid's mother returned, I was telling her my story and she had no idea where the kid had gotten the name Con O'Donnell and why he would live in the shed. A few days later, the mother of the two boys rang me excited to tell me news. She had been relaying the story to her father about Con O'Donnell who lived in the shed and was teaching Ted how to play hurling. He said that years ago his father had a farmhand called Con O'Sullivan who used to sleep in the sheds when the cows were calving during the calving seasons. I don't think Ted's friend is very imaginary now. My friend has told me many other odd occurrences that have happened in her house. She thinks it's her family members. I love visiting her house as it really feels homely and warm and welcoming so definitely not evil spirits. The shed where Con was living blew down in one of the big storms a few years ago. It was built back up into a granny flat that is now used as an Airbnb. I must admit when I stay over I will not sleep on my own. One thing having chats with ghosts in the middle of the day with loads of people around but by Jesus I would not be able to cope if I was on my own in the middle of the night and something spooky happened. Okay. I don't know how to describe hurling to non-Irish people. Um, 
it is a very fast, very dangerous sport. And I would recommend that you look up on YouTube. There's a video called like hurling the fastest sport on grass and it'll teach you all about it. But it's a game that's sort of uh, universally played across Ireland as in every county, every, every, yeah, kids will grow up playing it, whatever. Imagine being taught hurling, taught to play hurling by a ghost. Incredible. What a claim to fame that would be. When that child goes on to get a hurling all-star, they can say, oh, thanks to the ghost that lives in the shed for teaching me. And it is a very good point, though, to... Ghostly stuff is all well and good during the day. And you feel like the big hard man during the day when you're like, oh, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine with all this. But when you're on your own in the middle of the night, it's a very, very different story. I'll tell you what, though, Mairead, you are very brave asking those questions and going into the shed to see and all those things. Because I would I would have been like Kate. I would have been like, eh, OK, well, Con can stay in the shed and very glad that he's teaching hurling, but I don't want anything more to do with him. And story number two comes from Jeff. First, let me start off by admitting that I do not believe in ghosts. But I do believe there is a possibility that spirits can reach out to loved ones. That being said, this story is not freaky but more of a peaceful goodbye. I grew up being close to my great-grandmother Scott. Or as I would call her, G. Scott. My great-grandmother was a complete badass. She raised four children and had honestly a shitload of great-grandchildren. Her being the matriarch of such a large family, she had the ability to make every one of her great-grandchildren feel so special. One thing I would always do when I went to visit G. Scott was take her a fresh bouquet of flowers, and I continued to do this up until her passing. As time went on and as I grew older, I left for college. I went to a small state college in California, it was about a few hundred miles away from my family. This was about the time that G. Scott went into hospice care. I went and visited her in hospice care, bringing along her fresh bouquet of flowers as per usual. That was around February. The next month I was busy in my third year studying for midterms. I had this huge managerial economics midterm and was completely stuck in my dorm room studying. The night before my test... I received two phone calls from my mother and my grandmother saying G. Scott isn't doing too well and this could be her last night. My goal was to take the midterm in the morning, then drive after to see her. After about 1.30am I decided I had studied enough and it was time to sleep. About two hours into sleeping I felt a hand on my shoulder. I remember rolling over to see G. Scott standing by my bed. I was not scared and G. Scott didn't say a word. She just had this look as if she was smiling and saying goodbye. It was very peaceful. I told her I loved her and she disappeared. The next morning, I woke up to about 10 missed calls, all from family members. They all left voicemails letting me know that G. Scott had died earlier that morning. I felt so at peace letting her know that I loved her before she left. I've never told my family about that experience, not knowing if they would believe me or tell me I was sleep deprived from all my studying. I know this isn't your average ghost story that you share in the podcast, but I believe it was a message from a loving spirit. And thank you for letting me get it off my chest. I really love these peaceful goodbye stories, as as Jeff called it. I think it's so beautiful to think that in those moments, 
somebody would have the ability to come back and say, hey, I'm saying goodbye because I know it's going to really upset you that you didn't get to say goodbye. Because I think that's part of it is is knowing that you are not going to get to say goodbye. So they make an effort to give you that opportunity. Does that make sense? Oh, it's very sweet. And I just how nice for though as well to be, you know, to to wake you up nicely, be there nice and peaceful and calmly. I think if I was doing the same thing, I'd I'd burst into a room like all hell was breaking loose and really freak out that person so much so that they'd be like, I'm fucking glad she's dead. And story number three comes from Joe. Many years ago, I was switching teaching gigs and needed a place to stay temporarily between the next move and paychecks. A colleague of mine's father's wife had recently passed and he invited me to move into the home for cheap rent and to help look after his father. This is the home that my colleague had grown up in and he had always told me that it was haunted. I was a sceptic at the time, not anymore by any means, and I would just laugh at him or try and explain his stories in a rational manner. Electrical problems, drafts, forgetfulness, bad dreams, night terrors, etc. I would soon come to eat my words. My friend's father's wife, Jane, had passed of cancer in the home. She was a Cherokee woman and she believed in a combination of Christianity and her Native American traditions. One of the first things I noticed when I moved in, upon going for some ice in the freezer, was a fully intact, plastic-wrapped hawk in the door shelf. Supposedly, Jane requested to have been buried with the hawk, but it turns out that that's illegal, so it remained as a strange relic. And that was just the beginning of the next surreal six months of my life. Jane had died in a room on the west side of the house, and that was to be my room now. There was a small organ in the room, the kind that hums while it warms up. A dresser, a small closet, a vanity and a chair. An old heater mounted up to the wall and a few items of medical equipment. Incidentally, there were also several bundles of sage, some with burnt ends on the dresser. Being the sceptic that I was at the time, I had no problem sleeping in that room and no problem in sleeping in Jane's old bed, the bed in which she departed from this world. A large German shepherd, Toby, also resided in the house and we became fast friends. I did a little unpacking, hung my jackets, shirts and sundries in the closet after shifting Jane's old clothes to one side and crawled into the bed. Toby jumped up on the bed beside me and I fell into a deep sleep. At some point in the early hours of the morning, I woke to strong pressure across my shins. I sat up to turn on the bedside table light, thinking it was Toby. And when I looked, Toby was frantically panting in the doorway no longer on the bed and whimpering. Suddenly, in my right ear, and I could feel the breath of it, a loud shh was blown straight into my bones. I looked down at my legs, and upon the quilt you could see the shape of a pair of buttocks. I still, as I type this, get goosebumps on my arms, and people have noticed that happen when I tell the story. Needless to say, I never slept in that room again, and avoided it as much as possible. Unfortunately, this was just barely the beginning of the upcoming phenomena to follow. One of the first witnesses, with me anyway, to some of the craziness of this house was my girlfriend at the time. 
She lived a few hours away, so she would come and stay with me for a week at a time or a weekend or two during the month. In any case, we decided to get hammered one night, her on coconut rum and myself slogging beers as per usual. I told her the stories about the goings-on in the house, supernaturally that is, and she was sceptical. I was pretty lost in the sauce, as they say, and I took her to Jane's old room. Since the first night and that scare, I had converted the den in the front of the house into my new bedroom, and like I said, I just avoided Jane's room. So in a stupid moment of drunken hubris, my girlfriend and I went into the haunted room and I plugged in the old organ. The organ had a lattice-styled sheet music holder on top of it, some plastic thing made to look as if it was wood. In any case, I started playing the organ, singing songs of Fuck you, ghost. I don't believe in ghosts. Kiss my ass, ghost. Which was obnoxious. And then we eventually went to bed. We left the finished rum bottle and many beer bottles in the room. The next morning I woke up. My girlfriend was still passed out and I was feeling a little remorseful. Maybe that isn't the right word. I felt a foreboding feeling. I went into the room to clean up the mess and then I saw it. The cord from the organ had been unplugged and it was wrapped in a braid like a knot inside and out of the latticework of the music sheet holder above the keys. In other words, I was being told never to behave like that again. I wrongfully accused my girlfriend of doing this as a prank and it resulted in a huge fight. By the end of it, we were both terrified. She visited a few more times and even on one occasion said she saw a full-bodied apparition of a woman in the hallway. Soon after that, she refused to come to the house again and we eventually broke up over it. I think a pretty scary paranormal experience is enough to test the strength of any relationship. I don't know, I feel like that ghost was telling you, you better watch your manners. This is my house and I'm going to scare the shit out of you if you keep being disrespectful. For real. Being buried with a hawk is incredible. I mean, what a, what I've never heard of that kind of burial tradition before. Uh, would love to know more about it. I think I'll have to go Google it after this and try and find out more about it because it just sounds amazing. And I just didn't realise that it wasn't, that you're not allowed to do it. I didn't realise it happened, but then to find out that you're not allowed to do it and be stuck with a hope Mad. That's wild. And story number four comes from Duncan. This story took place when I was working at a printer's in Skegness around 15 years ago. I'd been working there for around five years when this happened. It was a Sunday morning and I was working on my normal machine. As it was Sunday, I was working overtime and I was standing watching the machine do its thing. I noticed a man walking towards the paper store area. I'd never seen this man before and wondered who he was and what he was doing here on a Sunday. He was short, going bald with glasses and for some reason was wearing a white lab coat. As he walked past me, I smiled and said good morning. And he nodded and walked into the paper stores. My curiosity got the better of me and I stopped my machine and walked over to the guy working in dispatch and asked who the guy was that just went into the paper store. He said he didn't see anyone go in, 
but the plastic curtains were moving as if someone had gone in. I described him to my friend while we waited for him to leave the paper stores and my friend said he sounded like one of the old QCs. We waited for him to leave but he never did. On a Sunday there is no way out to the paper stores apart from the way that he walked in. So we went and looked and there was no sign of him. We decided that he must have just left while we were talking. The next day at work I was still baffled by who this guy was. So I asked the lady who was working with me did she know him. Linda said it sounded like an old QC, an old quality control man named Brian. I told her that he was there yesterday and she looked at me strangely and told me to wait there. She went and fetched something and when she returned she had old company promo catalogues and she showed me the man who I had seen and said, Duncan, is this the man that you saw? I told her yes that it was and she looked at me and said, Duncan, that man died almost eight years ago. I had only worked here for five years by this point, so there was no way of me knowing who this man was. But when he passed me, he was so lifelike, it was unreal. And I cannot explain why he was there. There's such a difference between seeing a shadow, seeing a glimpse, seeing a misty figure, and seeing somebody in your workplace that seems so real that you literally say good morning to them. Like, Duncan seems to have had no reason to believe that this was anything other than a real human being who was called into work, who had called into work to get something or whatever and was wondering who that person was. That is so bizarre. And this apparition of Brian, like, acknowledged him, turned and nodded at him. So was this, like, apparition a, you know, somebody stuck in time, repeating those patterns not realising that they themselves are dead. Oh, love stories like that. So good. And story number five comes from Val. I grew up in a small town in Ohio along the river. This story goes back to when I was around 12 years old. My mom's friend picked us up from school and we drove by the train tracks. There was a little boy dressed in very old style clothing with a cloth napkin wrapped around a stick to hold food. I remember my grandmother telling me she did this during her youth to hold her lunch when she was going to school because they were too poor for lunch boxes. I remember thinking that he looked like he was from the Great Depression. My mom's friend looked at me and said, he must be coming from some sort of play. We lived in a small town and there were no plays going on and he was not from my school. The second time, I was in my 40s, helping my friend with her grandbabies in the same small town. I was in the house alone with the kids, and they were yelling. Dogs were barking, and it was crazy. All I could think is, when is my friend coming back? Then out of nowhere, somebody yells, Shush! It was not the kids, and it was not me. But the funny thing was, it did get them quiet. I sat down, texted my friend and asked her, Do you have a ghost? I was joking though, I wasn't really thinking anything about it. She texts back yes, 
that she had woken up to a little girl next to her bed and she always sees shadows in the house. She asked if I remembered when we were kids that she would wake me up and make me walk all over the house because she saw something and was too scared to look on her own. She still lived in the same house that she grew up in. It freaked me out. It's amazing how we try and rationalise these things. Like obviously the your the mother's friend thought something was so off about that little boy as well that she had to try and rationalise it and say, Oh, there must be a play on somewhere. There must be there must be some reason why this little boy is dressed like that walking down the train tracks. How many of those people do we see in our day to day lives that we don't realise might not be from our time? I do wonder. I, I wouldn't makes me wonder about I've spoken about it before but that time I saw somebody playing the bagpipes in the middle of a field like first thing in the morning in the countryside in Kent and it makes me wonder wow did I was that somebody just playing the bagpipes or was that something else who knows and good on that ghost for helping control the kids I know what it's like to have loads of kids running around and feel like oh is this ever going to end this is such hard work Good on them for helping you out. Story number six comes from Miranda. About ten years or so ago, my sister and her now ex-boyfriend went on a road trip to New Orleans in a last-ditch effort to save their relationship. I'm not sure where the logic was with this, but oh well. They checked into a hotel that they were going to stay at for the weekend, and my sister said that the hotel itself was nice, but that the room had an off vibe but that she had just dismissed it. Later that night, after they'd gone to bed, her boyfriend had passed out and my sister could not get comfortable for the life of her. She said that the room was freezing, but that it felt stuffy at the same time and that she was tossing and turning and could not get warm. Eventually, she fell asleep at some point in the night and awoke to a burning pain on her back. It freaked her out and she looked around but couldn't see anything and once again the room was freezing. Eventually she fell back asleep, but in the morning she noticed that there were angry red welts on her back that looked like claw marks. She mentioned that the entire time they were in the room, her and her boyfriend fought like crazy, more so than they ever had done before. They broke up that morning and my sister packed her things and drove home. I don't think whatever was in that room had anything to do with my sister and her boyfriend's breaking up, but my sister and I definitely think it was contributing to the arguments with the overall vibe in the room. My second story is by far the creepiest story I've ever heard in my life. A few months ago, two of my friends, who are roommates, told me about the ghost they had in their house. Their flat is a converted church, and they live in the uppermost level. A lot of the original features are still there, so they have a mezzanine that looks down onto the living room, and little stone gargoyles in random archways dotted around the flat, and I believe a few stained glass windows. A couple of months after they moved in, my friend Court said that while they were on the couch watching TV, she looked up to see a woman briefly standing at the top of the mezzanine directly across from them. She had long black hair, black hollows for eyes, and long pale spindly fingers. All she ever did was stare at her and then disappear. Fast forward a few weeks and she would wake up in the middle of the night to see her standing at the end of her and her boyfriend's bed, just watching them before once again disappearing. 
At the time, she was the only one who was seeing her, until they had a mutual friend crash on their couch for a night. He was up watching TV one night, lying down on the couch facing the mezzanine, when he looked up to see the same woman staring at him intently. He held her gaze for a while before she slowly crouched down and peered at him between the banister of the mezzanine. He apparently covered his face with the blanket and tried to go to sleep and ignore her and wound up eventually passing out. He hadn't been told about her before and didn't mention to any of them what he had seen until they were all at the pub the next evening, where Court said that she had seen her as well. I'm curious to what's happened in an old church to draw that kind of entity, but I definitely do not believe they have a simple ghost. Black hollow eyes and long spindly fingers to me equates to a demon, maybe one who loves to scorn the fact that the building was once on holy ground. That building, that apartment sounds amazing, like visually. I kind of want to live there, but without the added roommate. I was okay with this story. I was okay with it. With the As long as she's just staring, as long as she's just appearing and staring, I'm okay with that. We can deal with that. We can get on with it. You can always put those things down to imagination, sleep paralysis, something that you see at the corner of your eye, whatever. Her crouching down to watch him between the banisters? No. Why is this woman trying to make herself look as freaky as possible that's not okay she's already freaky being an entity from the afterworld there is no need to be peeping out between banisters to try and make it even worse oh that made my toes curl when i was reading that Thank you so much to Maraid, Jeff, Joe, Duncan, Val and Miranda for sending in your stories. If you would like to send in your own spooky story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time. <laughs>